Thanks, Ron, for helping us out with the narration on that. Um, we are in a brand new summer series called Shaped. And um, I'm someone who grew up in Southern California. I grew up around surfers. Never learned how to surf in Southern California. All growing up, I went to the beach all the time. Never learned how to surf. Um, went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Met a guy from Delaware. He took me out to his house on the Atlantic um, where he could teach me how to surf. So I learned how to surf in Delaware. And that probably explains a lot about how great I surf. It's, it's awful. But here's the thing. I, I never was attracted to surfing, but I was super, super attracted to the concept of shaping. The idea that, that people would take this block of foam and that they would just like bit by bit, sand by sand, stroke by stroke, they would shape this thing into this aerodynamic piece of engineering that could, could just go through the water and glide through in an amazing way and keep a, a surfer buoyant. It was something that always impressed me, just the, the process that would go through that. But not just shaping a surfboard. I mean, like, honestly, if any of you have ever um, tried to get in shape and you found some, like, impact on getting in shape. You know they're the same thing. It's like a slow process. It's not something where you go to the gym, you work out like for 16 hours or something, and you come home and you look in the mirror and go, oh yeah. Usually it's kind of like you go to the gym and you come back and you're like, oh man. And then you go back again and you look again and you're like, when is it going to start changing? And it, and it takes, it's like one of those things where you don't know how long it's going to take or how many days of process, but it's that, that ongoing determination Day by day, time frame by time frame, the discipline of doing that, that starts to take you from being out of shape to being in shape. Everything that gets shaped is a process, including you, including your heart, your soul. Each one of us, we are consistently shaped. Now, maybe intentional or may not be, but most of us, we're shaped. In this whole series, we're, we're making a case for the fact that Scripture should be the thing that shapes us. In fact, we're going to be going through just over a dozen Bible verses this summer. Bible verses that have shaped us. We started out, we sent this around to our whole staff and a bunch of other people. We said, what are the verses that shaped you personally? And we got this massive like, list of 100. And we're like, okay, we've got to whittle this down because the summer is only so long. And so we whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. We whittled it down to about 13, 14 verses that we said, if you were on a desert island and you didn't have a Bible, what would be the verses that we would hope to have in everybody's heart? That just sitting on that desert island, you'd be able to sit there and go, okay, and you'd be able to like just recite them in your mind and, and go through it. So we wanted to actually say that, that God's intention is that we get his word in our heart. We want to be shaped by that. But the question is, if that's not what you're already doing, what are you currently doing that's shaping you? Like what shapes your outlook? What shapes your perspective? A lot of us were shaped by our past. Even though it took place back there, it still is this shaping mechanism in our life. Some of us are shaped by the news. Some of us are shaped by social media. Some of us are shaped by our friend group, the people we work alongside. They shape our outlook, our perspective. In fact, a lot of times we sound a whole lot like the people we hang with the most because they are shaping us. But the problem is, is that most of that is accidental. It happens on accidents. It's not on purpose. It's not intentional. But the reality is that most people find themselves ending up in a place they don't want to be on accident. Nobody plans to have an affair. Like, that's not something you set out with. Like, when you first fall in love with someone, like, one day I can't wait to have an affair. We don't set out to, to go bankrupt. You don't set out to get in trouble with the law. Like, that's not your plan. You don't plan to land in prison. You don't plan to become an alcoholic or, or, or addicted to, to chemicals or drugs or whatever. That just, it kind of happens. Like one small decision after another, it just ends up, then you're there. 
And the reality is that you will not become who you want to be on accident. You can become a lot of stuff on accident, but you will never become the person that you want to be or even the person that God wants you to be on accident. This, these are things that are intentional. And so we're going to be making a case for this series. And I'm, I'm going to do the best job I can today just to open this up, making the case that every Christian, not just the professional Christians, not just the extra credit AP varsity level Christians, okay, every Christian, every Christian should memorize scripture. And again, if you're someone like me, this word right here freaks you out. The two of these together really freaks you out. You're like, okay. I don't like memorizing jack squat. I don't like memorizing anything. I'm not good at it. It feels like homework. And you know what? I get it. I'm someone who struggles with memorization. I'm someone who has a hard time memorizing. I, I've always, I have a hard time reading and I have a hard time memorizing. That's just my thing. And so growing up in the church where they're always like, okay, we're going to have Bible memory verses. And I'm like, this stinks. Because there's always kids that like are awesome and then there's Errol. And so like that was the way it was. We'd go to camp. Corey, you know what this is. Corey, I, I went to, when, when Corey was in high school, we would have these high school retreats. And I don't even know if you guys still do this, but back in the day, they would say, okay, for like a thousand extra points for your team, memorize the verse for the week. And people like Corey were like determined enough to, to win that they got their whole team to memorize the verse. And I hated it because I hated forcing kids to memorize stuff that I struggled with. Next week is Spy Kids. Guess what's one of the things we're having all the kids do? What a hypocrite. It's a huge deal. Through the course of my life, I'm not a great memorizer, but I'm a great collector. Some people collect stamps, some people collect baseball cards, some people collect regrets. I collect Bible verses. And the, over the course of my life, I've had these different Bible verses that I've collected over time that have stayed. Even though I stink, I forget so much, I've been able to hold on to these. And in moments where I've needed them most, God has brought them back to my heart, my mind. Because someone at some camp forced me to memorize a Bible verse, and it's still, it's still there. Every Christian... Every one of us in this room should memorize Scripture. And here's the first reason. The first reason is because it's God-made, not man-made. If I was saying everyone in this room should go buy this best-selling book, you might take my advice, you might read it and say, that's fine, that's good, whatever. Or you might think it's good, or whatever. You might think it's amazing. Like, I'm so glad Pastor Errol told me to read that book. But this is so different. This is such a different ballpark. Scripture is God-made. It's not man-made. Peter, he put it this way. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Well, hold on a sec. Like, honestly, like, one of the great pushbacks to Christianity from people that are thinking smart people is the Bible is a man-made thing. It's, it's, you know, cobbled together and concocted by all these different dudes. Like, oh, and, and so this kind of goes against that. Peter is saying when he's looking back on the Old Testament, when he's looking back even on some of the scripture that's coming out of the words of people that he knew that followed Jesus, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so like right after 2000, there was this like massive rush of new atheists, like Richard uh, Dawkins, and you had Hitchens, you had Sam Harris, guys that are really, really smart people who looked at faith and looked at religion and looked at Christianity in particular and said, this stuff is all bull. This is like just garbage. And they would unpack it and, bit, and, and they wrote books that were bestsellers. They went to like college campuses. They were known by people like they were rock stars. 
And a lot of people who grew up in the faith said, you know what? I never really asked the question, is this, is this thing really true? I just believed it because granny believed it. And I was like, okay, I guess God exists. I guess Jesus died for my sins, yada, yada, yada. And the truth is that as they're going, and they're, they're, as, as they had some solid pushback by thinking individuals, all of a sudden they said, yeah, you know what? This is a man-made book. Every religion has their own holy book. Every religion has their own thing like, oh, this is from the gods or God or whatever. How is Christianity any different from that? It's not. And over the, my, the course of my adulthood, like there's a lot of stuff that I accepted just at face value because I grew up in the church. But throughout the course of my adulthood, as I've had hard questions brought to me by thinking people, uh, pe- people who are wrestling with their faith, wrestling with their doubts, one of the things that has been so amazing to me is this. You know how like the, the closer you get to someone that you're impressed with, the, least, the less impressed you are? Like, like if you really like someone or if you really like are hero worshiping someone or fanboying about someone, don't get to know that person. Don't watch a documentary on their life because all of a sudden you're like, ah, you're normal, right? And it's like the closer you get to something, the less impressed you are. Generally, that's the case, right? I mean, even people in this room, we feel that about each other, right? Maybe not this room, but other services feel that. But the, but the thing is that when we get close to something, generally it becomes more normative and natural, and we see the holes, we see the fracture points, and we're less impressed. And the thing that I have to tell you is that with regard to Scripture, that has been just the opposite for me. The more that I've read of the people that have pushed back against Scripture, the more thoughtful, well-made arguments about how Scripture is just man-made junk. The more I've looked into that, the more I've listened to the testimonies of people who grew up in the faith and left the faith, the more I've looked into it, the more confident I've been that this is God's word. The more passionate I am that this, that this is the riddle, this is the answer to the riddle to end all riddles. This is the puzzle piece that when put together, everything else makes sense from. And, and skeptics have a real difficult time because they look at scripture and they say, this can't be from God. Look at all the barbaric, crazy stuff that takes place in it. This can't be from God. You say, it's God's word? Look at all of this. Or they'll say the other thing. They'll say, this can't be God's word through a human being. I mean, look at it. These were simpletons. And the Bible is like, the, it fits together too well. These were, a lot of these people were illiterate. How in the world could this be something that fits together so well with 40 authors written over 1,500 years on three continents and three languages? How could it be, sync up so well where you have this narrative arc where the Christ figure is actually the Christ figure? I mean, how in the world is it that this fits together so well? This has to be like some type of like mechanism that was written later because it fits too well. And where skeptics have a difficult time with, either it's too simpleton and barbaric or it's too genius, they can't deal with the tension. I can, and I'm not as smart as them. It makes perfect sense if this is from God and not from man, but God using the individuals, 40 individuals, who he guided the very words to say what they're saying, that it would both be in the context and the culture that they were in, plus it would sync together, even though written over 1,500 years of time. It's God-made, not man-made. Why should you memorize scripture? Because it's like nothing else. And one of the reasons it's like nothing else is because it's God's primary shaping tool. It's God's primary shaping tool. We see uh, Jesus say this, when he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for, he ultimately then prays for all of the believers that come after, that don't get a chance to hang out with Jesus. He says this, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word 
is truth. Okay, sanctify, that's an awesome religious word. You know what, you know what sanctify means? I mean, it sounds like uh, get more mature. Or uh, Sanctify, basically, everyone get your hands, go like this, get your hands loose. This is important. This is very, very, very godly, okay? If you're not doing this, there's seriously something wrong with your faith. Okay, no, good. All right, now go like this. This is like Mr. Miyagi, but it's not. Okay, this is not sanctification. This is. Okay, this, this is what happens when you blend in the world. When you're blending in with the world, you're just like, it's like, I, well, where does one begin and one, one ends? I don't really know. Jesus said, I want you to be this. I want you to be sanctified. Sanctified, we mean separate. It's like separate. But check this out. He's not calling us to be hermits or get into some weird desert cult or like be like so against the culture that we have no idea what's going on. He says, set them apart by the truth. Your word your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus, he's around people. He's around prostitutes and people who are cheating the government, people who are in bed with the government. He's hanging out with all these people that, you, that shouldn't be hung out with by, by God. And yet he does so anyway. And so it looks like he's right next to him. And yet Jesus is completely separate. Jesus was around people, nothing like him. And yet he liked them. And so you have this proximity and this separateness. How do we make that happen? How do we do that in our lives? Well, we do that by actually allowing God's word to come into our heart. It's the agent that sets us apart. If you're memorizing scripture, you have a, a spiritual discipline that causes you to be able to be loving the people around you that are lost, no matter what their baggage or backstory is. And at the same time, being set apart. Scripture is the key way, the primary tool that God uses for that. Now, if I wanted to, like, paint something, like, if I wanted to paint a wall, if I wanted to paint this whole wall, like, um, we just like, let's change the color of this wall. What would be the primary instrument that I would use? Okay, a paintbrush or a paint roller, maybe a paint sprayer. I'd go to Home Depot, and I'd find something that I could paint this wall with, the primary painting tools. You know what I probably wouldn't do? I probably wouldn't go over to Abby and say, can we get a couple of preschoolers and get them to finger paint it? Now, can... Is finger painting a thing? Oh, yes. Is that the primary way to paint a wall of this size? No. Number one, it would take forever. Number two, mm, right? So when we think about actually doing something that's functional, we want to find the best instrument, the best tool that's out there. Now, a lot of us in here, you may have grown up and you're growing in your faith and you're like, I don't memorize scripture. And yet I, I feel like I'm growing in my faith. That, that may be the case, but maybe you're finger painting your faith. Maybe you're seeing slow and messy growth where God wants intentional. Now, here's the thing. God uses people to grow you. But you know what he uses in the midst of that? His word through those people to you to grow you. He uses circumstances to grow you. But God uses the circumstances put into context with scripture that causes growth in you. Dallas Willard, he's a guy who, who's like, he wrote the book on spiritual disciplines. And this is what he says. Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, of which he wrote the book on, I would choose Bible memorization. Because it is, fundament, it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. You want to grow in your faith. God's got a, Jesus said it. The primary tool is the word of God. It's truth. And God uses that truth to help you be and do everything that he's called you.
to do. It's helpful. Um, the reality is that Scripture is, is, I mean, just on a pragmatic basis, some of the people that I see deal the best with life know the most in, the, in God's Word, or they know a couple of key verses that help them navigate. It's like they go, have these go-to verses that they memorize when they were 8 or 18 or 58. And, and over the course of their life, they, they recognize the helpfulness of God's Word helping them through the darkest of times. I told you about this last uh, fall, but I went on this uh, massive trip where I wanted to, uh, went with um, several, with my, with my son, my brother, and some friends, and we went up to Colorado to try to attempt to get to four 14,000-foot peaks. We wanted to climb up four 14,000-foot peaks. And there's this place in Colorado, ironically, called the Chicago Basin. And so Chicago Basin, the reason they call it the Chicago Basin is because they look at the, I think it's because they look at all these high-rises of these 14ers all in one place. It's like, like the skyline. It's littered with these 14,000-foot cliffs and, or uh, peaks. And so we had to get in there and, and go ahead and make this attempt. And so as we, we were going, we were climbing, it was one of those things where every step up was, we started at like 12,000 or 10,000 feet and kept on going up. And then as the, the higher we're going, the more the, the altitude is making an impact on each of our lungs. And a couple of the guys on the trip um, started to get altitude sickness, where they were just like, I mean, their head was throbbing, they're getting dizzy, they're moving like they're like 99 years old. And it was just weird to see, full, you know, fully athletic people doing great down when, where there's oxygen, but, and then up where it's higher, just struggling. And, and so we're going bit by bit higher and higher, and we eventually get to a place where we realize um, we have to make a decision to go for it or not. It was too late in the day, and all of a sudden it starts just getting darker, and darker. And this was right around the point where we had to make the decision, okay, we're within 500 feet of the peak. We already passed 13,000 feet. We're, we're, we're probably 13,500. We got to make, we got to make a call right now on whether we're going to go for it or not. And then all of a sudden, what we couldn't see at the time when we were first setting off, but was taking place was a storm front was coming in over the cliffs that we were trying to climb up. We didn't see that because our phones were dead up there. There was just no reception, no ability to see a radar or anything else. And all of a sudden, we started seeing the clouds just coming over. And the darkness that was already taking place because of the sunset was becoming darker and darker. And so we had to make the hard decision of abandoning the trip and heading back. And as we turned around, we started walking down. We got down to 13,000 feet where there's this lake. And we started realizing how dark it was getting. And so we all took out our, um, our headlamps and, and we started putting them all on. All of us, except for one guy. One guy on the trip, his headlamp wasn't working. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's a problem. Especially since between that point when we just pulled things out of the backpack, it started to rain on us. And then all of a sudden, right after it started raining, it went completely dark. And in the darkness, it was something where, wow, we have a lot of light from that, don't we? <laughs> in the darkness, one of the amazing things that we had was the ability to see our way down. We realized that we had to get down this massive cliff face, or this massive trail, and with, with uh, going over streams and waterfalls and different precarious things, but we had our headlamp, and it was great for all of us, except for the one guy whose headlamp didn't work. And when that headlamp didn't work, all of a sudden we realized that we had to put him right in the middle of the group. And if we put him in the middle of the group, like when I had my headlamp on, I stood right behind him. And so I'm like trying to look at what, where I'm going, but I'm also trying to look just behind him, where he's I'm trying to get right in front of him so that my light is actually going down right and hitting, hitting his feet, which was, was imperative because it was so dark and so stormy, there was no way that we were going to make it out otherwise. And so we keep on going down. And that was really good, and I felt like a hero. Except I'm a hero with ADD. And so 
whenever I would hear a sound, it'd be like... What a beautiful night we have. Ah! And so it's like, it's one of those things where like, seriously, every time I did this, this guy would run into the guy in front of him or he'd go off the trail and just make it more precarious. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'd have to get back. This is why when we're in the midst of darkness, we have this reality that we have a lot of things in our world that we're looking at as a way to light our way through. When we're in the midst of a dark situation, a dark point in our world, we're always trying to find a way out. And we, gl- we just hold on to anything that can give us light. The problem is, is that we're in a world where those things that we rely on are untrustworthy. They're not consistent. Every human relationship is frail. Everything we depend on or rely on or take it for granted is one choice or one step or one day away from falling apart. That's why it's so good that your spiritual growth and your faith is not reliant on your pastor who's just as spiritually ADD as any one of you. Or it's not reliant on good conditions in your life. The way that your path is lit, the psalmist says, is this. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It's God's word that is the trustworthy lamp and light. And on top of that, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David looks at the word of God as helpful. What gets you through dark times, what gets you through precarious moments is not another person that you're hoping to light the path. It's the fact that no matter how many people walk away from me, no matter how many people walk out on me, no matter how bad the situations are, I have God's word as a lamp and by hiding it in my heart, I'm able to actually do whatever God wants me to do that I might not sin against him. Chuck Swindoll, a pastor and um, an educator down in Texas, put it this way. I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witnessing will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. Why do we memorize scripture? Because it's helpful. It's helpful, but not just helpful. It's guaranteed. And this is the greatest thing. There's a lot of stuff that you could say, okay, I'm going to like invest in this. I'm going to invest my time in this. or I'm going to invest my money in this, hoping that it works out. And, and a lot of times some things go well, some things they, they don't. But one of the things that we have a guarantee And that's the guarantee from Errol, but a guarantee from God is what happens with his word. God, through the prophet Isaiah, put it this way. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. So God's talking about his word that's coming to us. It will not return to me, what? Empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is guaranteed. There's a lot of stuff in this life that's not guaranteed, but God's word is guaranteed. So if, if we're talking, if it's just you and me, and you're like, I, Pastor, I can't, I can't memorize scripture. I'm not a great memorizer. I don't care. Let's just chuck that excuse. I don't care. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. If you're like, well, I, I, here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm someone that's a baby Christian. I'm not like, a, I'm not like a, a mature Christian. So Bible memorization is probably not for me. I don't care. 
I don't care. Let's just chuck that excuse. It's guaranteed to be helpful, to grow you, to be from God. If you're someone that's just like, I, I don't have a lot of time. Like my day is, you, do you understand how frantic my life is? Like my kids are, are playing soccer and dancing and gymnastics, and that's just one kid. I don't care. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to grow you. I've told you already that I struggle with memorization personally, but I've collected these handful of verses throughout my life. The fact that I know John 3.16, that God so loves the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That shaped me. The fact that I know that Ephesians 2.8 says that it's by, it's by grace through faith. That we are saved by grace through faith. That it's not of yourselves. So that no one can boast. But it's a gift of God. And, when, when I, when, and I just jumbled that. When you get to these Bible verses that actually impact you, all of a sudden you start to realize that God uses them in your life. I remember memorizing when I was in junior high, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has attacked you except for what's common to humanity. And God is faithful. He will always provide a way out. When, when tempted, God will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you think that that, that Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, was a help to me as I was going through junior high and high school? Absolutely. And when I failed, and I, I didn't become dismantled because I knew Philippians 1, 6, that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God's not going to give up on me. And even when everything goes sideways and when the world just seems like it's going to garbage and I feel like everything is darker and darker and darker, I have the confidence from the book of Revelation that after Jesus returns and, and, he, and he actually restores the planet, he says something in Revelation 21 verse 5. He says, see, I have made all things new. I don't know what you collect, but throughout my lifetime I've collected a handful of Bible verses you think that they've made a difference in my life? You bet they do. They're guaranteed to do that. God promised it. What are you allowing to shape your life? This summer, we're going to, we're going to as a church, we're going to do our best to memorize just over a dozen of these imperative, I'm on an island without a Bible, all by myself, Bible verses to shape our soul, to shape our outlook. And we're going to do it as a church. We've got a gift for you. You may have seen it as you walked in. Um, there's these um, super expensive, incredibly sturdy, not falling apart at all type of clipboard things that we want to give each one of you. Uh, not each one of you, actually one for every household, okay? So if, you, if you're here with 10 people, awesome. If you're here with one person, awesome. Take one of these. Every week, we're going to have a new verse, the key verse from that week. We're going to be preaching on the verse, and then you're going to get a chance to take that verse sheet home and put it in the clipboard so that you can see it as you're walking down the stairs. You could put this next to your mirror and you could look at it as you're brushing your teeth. And if you brush your teeth twice a day, boom, there's two times you get to see it a day. You could duct tape, you could take it out of the clipboard and just duct tape the verse to your truck dashboard. Awesome. Do that. You could put it in your cubicle, someplace where you're going to see it and work on it over the week and allow God's word to refine over you and refine over you and refine over you all through the week. And you think that that's going to make a difference? It's guaranteed to make a difference. What if I don't like memorize it word for word? I don't care. If you hide God's word in your heart, he is going to be faithful with that. He guarantees it. Um, we're going to have um, lock screens um, for your phone. That, like, just like a graphic that has the same verse. It's going to be available on our website. 
It's going to be available if you go to um, uh, Mission's Instagram. It'll be there. Free download. Just download that, uh, screenshot it or download it, and put that as your, as your lock screen so that as you're going through the day, as you're going to the bathroom, you could be memorizing Scripture. This is one of those things where we get a chance to step into this. I want to challenge each and every one of you. Dads out there, I want to challenge you to step into this. Deuteronomy 6, I do not have it memorized. But it talks about how, like, dads specifically, step it up. Maybe it's because dads generally don't. I don't know. But step it up. Make sure that you're passing on God's word to your family, to your kids. Let it be something that, that is washing over them. Moms, I want to challenge you. Step it up. Step into this. Some of you are like high schoolers, and you're like the spiritual leader in your house. Awesome. If you're the high schooler that's the spiritual leader in your house, step it up. Let this become something that becomes part of your summer 22 experience, where you allow God's word to shape and refine and transform you. And if you don't believe it's possible, I want to just offer you that challenge. Step it up this summer. Allow God to shape you, and he will make all the difference. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, the fact that we, that we can stand with confidence, God, that we can take what you're saying as from you, that we can be directed. And Lord, in the midst of so much of the Bible that, that we have questions about, or so much of the Bible that we don't completely understand, there's so much of the Bible that is abundantly clear. Lord, I pray that you help us allow these passages, these verses, to shape us to transform us for your glory. And our Lord, I pray that our world will see it. And we'll give you the thanks for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Go pick those up on the way out. We'll see you guys.